Good morning. Have uh, have a hundred dollar bill in my hand. How many of you believe me? Just for hearing. Believe me, some of you. It's really weak faith. <laughs> weak faith. As I look around there, <clears throat> I hate to destroy your faith. a hundred dollar bill. Some of you didn't think I had one. <laughs> I do. It's a hundred dollar bill. And some of you are thinking, uh, I, you know, you're showing me the hundred dollar hundred dollar bill didn't destroy my faith, as maybe what some of you are thinking. But I want to explain something to you. The truth is, when I showed you the hundred dollar bill, you no longer needed faith. You track with me? For that matter, when I showed you the bill, there was no longer any room for doubt either. Because you could see it. When you can see it, there's no need for faith. There's no need for doubt because it simply is. We suddenly know fully, we know completely, we understand uh, you know, the, the, the truth of what before we had to simply Believe The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 1, this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, and hear me, certain of what we do not see. It's telling us that faith can only exist. Think about this for a minute. Faith can only exist in an environment where doubt, where doubt, you're not sure what's in this hand, where doubt is also possible where we don't see clearly, where we don't understand fully, where we don't know 100% sure. Truth is, faith like that makes us uncomfortable, and it made Thomas, one of Jesus' own disciples, rather uncomfortable. And shortly after Jesus' resurrection, Thomas came face to face with his doubt, kind of created its own crisis of faith, if you will, in his life when he met Jesus face to face. And honestly, we're blessed because he had that crisis, because his experience shed some much-needed light on how to overcome our doubts, how to grow toward belief and faith. And we're going to look at uh, Thomas's experience this morning. If you have your Bible, open it up with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, if you don't have a Bible with you and you want to use the one in the chair in front of you, kind of on the shelf in front of you, open it up. If you're not sure where John 20 is, it's page 652 in that Bible. But I want you to turn there because I believe that God wants to help every one of us take some steps toward overcoming our unbelief, overcoming our doubts today. I believe that Thomas' experience can help us uh, to that end. So John chapter 20, we're going to start at verse 24. You there? Everybody turn there, and uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, follow along on the screen with me. Bible says this, one of, tw- one of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Now, some of your older translations say Didymus. What does that mean? It means twin. So that's why, that's why the New Living translates it this way. Uh, <clears throat> Thomas, the twin, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. Now let's pause does that make, so where was Thomas when Jesus appeared to them earlier? We don't know, but he was not with them, right? See so you with me on that? So Thomas was not with the others when Jesus came, and they were told, they told him, this is after the fact, of course, we've seen the Lord. 
But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the, na- see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, place my hand into the wound into his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger in here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these were written or are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. I ask you, let's bow our heads together and just pray as we continue thinking and reflecting on this passage. Okay, Father, we just ask for your wisdom, your insight, your illumination to be given to us. Help us to see what you see to hear what you'd have us to hear, that our faith might grow, that our doubt might shrink, that we might represent you well in the world in which we live, that we might be faith-filled children of yours. We ask for that now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, we talked about three keys to overcoming doubt and unbelief last week. Some of you were here last week, and that's, uh, that's great, but some of you weren't. I would encourage you, if you missed that message, go listen to it out online. You can listen to it online. You can find the archives. You can listen to it. A number of things in there that would be really valuable. We talked about three keys to overcoming doubt and unbelief last week. Uh, this week's message, though, reveals three additional keys to overcoming doubt and unbelief. I mean, keys that weren't talked about last week, but apply this week to this particular passage. And these keys help Thomas... And these same keys can help us and our family and friends overcome our doubts. If we'll take them seriously, if we'll reflect on them, we'll put them into practice in our lives, act on them. So I hope as we work our way through this passage, you'll take maybe a few notes. I hope you'll reflect on these passages of Scripture that I'll mention and um, see what God does in your life. I think He'll do some good things. First key to overcoming spiritual doubt and unbelief that shows up in this passage, it shows up really early in the text And it's really this, each of us needs to hear the testimony of the disciples. We need to hear the disciples' testimony. It's the the very first key to overcoming spiritual doubt and unbelief that shows up. You know, just as a personal testimony is important in a court of law, would you agree? It's important in matters of faith. I mean, really, matters of faith begin with a testimony. I have a $100 bill in my hands. You with me? It begins with that. If there's, not, if there's not a testimony, if there's not a statement like that made of some sort, there is no environment from which faith can grow. Likewise, there's really no environment where doubt can flourish either. It's just either unbelief or ignorance. It's really all that's left. So really the first key to... Overcoming spiritual doubt and unbelief is hearing the disciples' testimony. And let's just look at it real quick. Verse 25 of chapter 20 of John tells us the disciples' testimony, the one they gave to Thomas, the one that they went all over the world proclaiming for you know, the rest of their lives and it's being proclaimed to this day. And in verse, uh, verse 25 says this, what they told to Thomas. We have seen the Lord. We've seen Him. 
They were saying to Thomas, he's alive. We saw him. He showed us the wounds in his hand and his side. Trust us. Believe us. He's very much alive. Yes, he died. He rose from the dead. This is the message that they were proclaiming to Thomas, that they've been proclaiming with their lives for really 2,000 years, though their bodies died long ago. Their message has continued. Now, whether these disciples realized what they were doing or not, the testimony of Thomas's friends was a seed planted in the heart or in the heart of Thomas. It was just a seed planted. It was, it was a window to what, what God was doing in the world that was opened to him. And he could look through it, or as he chose to, he could sort of shut the window and say, I, I, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. If I don't, if I don't put my hands in his hand, if I can't put my finger in his hands and my hand, hand in his side, I, you know, I don't believe this. But regardless of what he did, the disciples started something there that began to roll back the possibility for, for doubt and open the door to faith. They, they, they proclaimed their testimony that Jesus was resurrected, and because they verbalized that testimony, it started a chain reaction of things. Now, I want to ask you... What if Thomas's friends had taken a totally different approach to what took place? What if their approach had been this? What if they had said, you know, guys, we better not say anything to Thomas about seeing Jesus because we don't want him to feel left out. We, you know, we don't want him to feel bad because he wasn't there when Jesus came. You know, we were there. He was not. He'll feel bad. We don't want to make him feel bad. Let's, ju let's just not talk about this. Let's just talk about, you know... Sports, weather, talk about other stuff, you know, how we wish there were cars. Let's talk, you just talk about this kind of stuff. Or what if they'd taken another approach? What if they'd been so fearful of Thomas' potential rea uh, reaction of rejection? You just so dreaded that that they just decided they were going to say nothing. Because we already know what he's going to say. He's going to reject it, so why even bother? Why even bother? Why even bring it up? What if they'd have taken that approach to things? If they'd have taken that approach, faith would have been impossible. You tracking with me? Faith would have been impossible. For Thomas, for us, thankfully they spoke up. Here's what I want to ask you. Have you... On a personal level, have you heard the disciples' testimony? Thomas heard it. He kind of shut him down initially. Have you heard the testimony of the disciples? The one that they proclaimed with their mouths. We've seen the Lord, they said. I want you to think about this. When the disciples proclaimed, we've seen the Lord, they were not saying, Jesus is a nice guy. He's a good guy. He's really smart even. He, they weren't saying that. They were saying, he's risen from the dead. We know that's unique. They were saying that. Have you heard that? I mean, the disciples didn't just proclaim it with their mouths. If you track with their lives, you know, in fact... Get a little ahead in the story, but if you were to go to Chennai, India today, uh, you could find a basilica 
in Chennai that is built over the grave of Thomas. You know why he was in India? Because he eventually came to believe, and he went someplace where they did not know and had never heard to proclaim the testimony that I've seen the Lord. Believe. He's risen. He's not just a nice guy. He's God in flesh. He has power like none other. He can save you now and forever. And this gave his life proclaiming that message. Have you heard the message of the disciples that was spoken with their mouths, proclaimed with their lives? Will you believe? Maybe you already believe. My question for you is, are you verbally sharing that testimony to the people around you? Because until you and I share that testimony, faith really is impossible. Don't get bothered about the fact that there may be doubt that somebody chooses because of your proclamation of the testimony of the disciples. Don't get bothered by that. Thomas rejected it initially too. Doesn't mean everybody will. Doesn't mean that that seed won't grow up with time to a complete change of heart and change of life, but you will have planted the seed. First key to overcoming spiritual doubt and unbelief is just simply we've got to hear, we've got to listen to the disciples' testimony. It makes me think of one last passage before I move on to the next point, and that is Romans 10, 14, which simply says, How can they call on, on him? How can people call on Jesus to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them. I mean, it is that testimony that is the seed planted that creates the possibility for faith or doubt. But with God's involvement, there's a high likelihood of faith there. Testimony is always required. Second key to overcoming spiritual doubt and unbelief that we need to uh, take seriously is we need to consider Jesus' miracles If we're going to dispel doubt in our mind, we've got to consider seriously not just the testimony that was made and the lives that went with it, but we've got to consider Jesus' miracles. I want you to look again at John 20 that you got there in your Bible. Verse 26 and 27, uh, notice the miracles that occurred in just this one instance. We could spend a lot of time working our way through the Gospels with different miracles, but uh, just look at the the miracles of these two verses. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. There were no less than four miracles that took place in these two verses. There's the miracle of Jesus' surprise appearance. I mean, they're behind locked doors. Jesus suddenly, like he did before, shows up, just materializes in the room. 
And he's not a ghost. He's not some just ethereal spirit. I mean, he has flesh and blood, bones. I mean, if you read some of the accounts, he's like eating with, saying, hey, does anybody have anything to eat here? He's eating with them. He's interacting with them. There's, there's a whole, he's, he's real. He's physical like you and me. He just has power we don't. So he could show up behind locked doors if he chose to. That's a miracle. Second miracle shows up here. If you notice, Jesus precisely knew Thomas' declaration that he'd made earlier, eight days earlier. Verse 25 highlights it where he says, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my fingers in his hand, put my finger in his hand, put my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe. Was Jesus in the room when, when, Peter's, or when Thomas said that? No, no, he wasn't there. Note to self, Jesus doesn't have to be physically in the room to know what I'm saying, to know what I'm doing. Can I say this? This is a principle that troubles me greatly as a preacher. Because I'm looking at all of you and I'm just thinking, you're sitting here, I see you, but somebody may be sitting in that empty seat right over there that I don't see with my eyes, but he's very much here, and he knows everything I say from this platform. I think a lot of preaching in our world would change if there was that awareness. A lot of things that are said in our homes, a lot of things that are said in our workplaces, a lot of things we say to one another would change if we lived with the conscious awareness that Jesus' physical absence does not mean he's unaware He can show up if he wants to, and he knows exactly what we're saying. Third miracle here in this particular passage, and and this is just inferred, but to me it's a miracle that Jesus' response toward Thomas is mercy. Here's what I mean. I mean, he didn't respond with frustration Oh, you're unbelievable. You know, he, he wasn't angry at, at Thomas. He, he wasn't saying, I'm going to send you to hell now because of that. You know, uh, kind of a mocking. He, he didn't do that. There was no condemnation, no judgment, no. He does state a diagnostic fact of calling him faithless. It's rather direct and blunt, but Jesus was known for being that way often. I mean, the mercy of Jesus in this moment should give us hope too. There's a fourth miracle that shows up really and that's, I mean, Jesus scars. I mean, can you imagine someone's body being treated the way his was? You put nails in your hands and your feet and pierce his side. I mean, literally people bleed out that kind of way. They don't live. That's not how you live. You know, you don't, it's incompatible with life to puncture the heart and the pericardium. You just, it, you don't survive that. I mean, he's quite literally physically present, alive before them. Though scarred, almost his tattoos, if you will, to prove the suffering that he had endured. I mean, these were amazing miracles. Here's what we don't often think about is that you and I are surrounded by miracles on a regular basis as well. 
Last week I told a couple of stories of Jesus' surprise appearances in our day. I talked about one of them that happened right here at Southwoods one Easter weekend. If you missed last week's message, I'm not going to tell, tell you the story. You just have to go listen to it. Go listen to it online. But you, we had an experience of that. I, I forgot to mention that the individual who had the experience was sitting in the room last Sunday. So you can argue with that individual if you want to debate that. Um, what's fascinating to me is that the story itself creates the opportunity for faith or doubt in every one of us. I mean, it's its own seed planted. And we all have to think about that. We all have to wrestle with it. Did that really happen or did it not? And we kind of do all of our mental gymnastics that we do to try to justify that it did or didn't. And Is that not interesting? But it's really happened. The good shepherd is still looking out for his sheep, and that was evident to me, not just in that story, but since then. I've, I've had two or three of you tell me other stories that I didn't know where he showed up in your life in very personal ways. It's a miracle that he does that. Even if you've never seen the Lord, have you ever seen him at work in your life? Have you ever seen the Lord at work in your children's lives? Have you ever seen that? How about your prayer life? Have you ever, ever had one of your prayers been answered? Have you ever narrowly escaped some disaster or miraculously been provided for where you had no clue where it was going to come from and suddenly the provision of God is right there and exactly what you needed and you're able to go, yeah, that... That was too coincidental to be a coincidence. Have you ever looked at a newborn baby? Have you ever looked at the stars in the heavens and thought to yourself, it's too beautiful to just be a random chance? It's amazing. You and I are surrounded by so many miracles on a day-to-day basis that honestly we become numb to them. They're so familiar that we just tune them out. We take them for granted. If we're ever going to overcome spiritual doubt and unbelief, we've got to seriously consider Jesus' miracles and all of the miracles that surround us. We need to not just look at whatever pain or hardship or problem we've got in my life right now. We need to look at the bigger picture. We need to step back and say, there's a lot about this world I don't understand. How did all of this happen? Really, was it just a random collision of molecules and the... In the universe, the primordial soup of our universe, is that really rational or is it more rational to believe that maybe there's an intelligent God who had a plan and purpose and he spoke and all of this came into existence because he's all-powerful, all-loving, and it will sustain, be sustained until such time as he says, there's enough of this, I'm going to set all things right. I mean, which, which takes more faith, really? got to consider Jesus' miracles and the many other ones that surround us. And with that in mind, we've got to hear the words of Jesus along the way when he speaks to Thomas and us and says, don't be faithless any longer. It's kind of like saying, just stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. And like Thomas, we've got to come to embrace the third key to overcoming spiritual doubt and unbelief. And, and that's just that at some point, each of us needs to make our confession. It's kind of this idea of going on record. It's, it's moving from 
yeah, this is all a good idea. He's a good guy. Me and God, we're buddies. It's kind of moving from that, you know, to a place where we're like Thomas in verse 28 when he's making his confession and he says, my Lord, my God. Have you ever looked heavenward and actually made your confession? You ever done that? You know, some of us may have doubt lingering in our hearts because we've never made that confession. We've, we've just never looked heavenward and just said, Lord, I know enough here to know that you're good. I don't have to understand every little detail and I will never understand every little detail this side of heaven, but I know enough to know that you're good. You're my Lord. You're my God. I trust you. I love you. I'll follow you all the days of my life. You're my Lord. You're my God. Give me grace for the areas where I struggle and faith, faith to follow. Have you ever confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior that way? There's something that happens inside of us when we do. When we do. Now, maybe you've been struggling with some measure of doubt or disillusionment in your life. And I would acknowledge there are plenty of things to stir doubt in our world, in our hearts. I just want to ask you, though, will you decide this morning... and? A lot of things we talked about last week and this week to to choose to take a step toward belief, a step toward faith in our living, loving Savior. Will you listen? Will you hear the disciples' testimony? What the proclamation of their mouths was, what the proclamation of their lives was. And if they didn't believe it to the core of their being, why would they suffer and die like they did? for what they believed and taught. Will you consider Jesus' miracles? Will you consider the miracle of life around you? Will you you make your confession to the Lord? Just open your heart and look heavenward and proclaim your faith in Him. We decide instead of running from Jesus, you'll come to Jesus who's come for you. I want to close this morning with an insightful and true story that uh, emphasizes it's a true story that author and pastor John Ortberg tells in one of his books. I, I love John Ortberg. I don't know if you've, maybe you're familiar with him, maybe you're not. I enjoy a lot of his books because he's such a good communicator. He's a great storyteller. And in this case, he tells this, this story, and as I mentioned, it's true. He writes, a woman I know named Cheryl went to a salon to have her nails manicured. As the beautician began to work, they began to have a good conversation on lots of subjects. When they eventually touched on God, the beautician said, Oh, I don't believe that God exists. Why do you say that? asked Cheryl, who has MS. Well, you just have to go out on the streets to realize that God doesn't exist, the beautician said. Tell me, if God exists, would there be so many sick people? Really? I mean, would there be abandoned children? If God existed, there would be neither suffering nor pain. I can't imagine loving a God who would allow all of these things. And 
Cheryl thought for a moment. She didn't respond because she didn't want to start an argument. The beautician finished her job. Cheryl left the shop. And just after she left the beauty shop, she saw a woman in the street with long, stringy, dirty hair. She looked filthy and unkempt. And Cheryl turned, opened the door of the beauty shop again and entered and said to the beautician, You know what? Beauticians don't exist. What? I mean, how can you say that? Asked the beautician, uh, surprised. I'm here. I just worked on you. I mean, I, of course I exist. No, Cheryl exclaimed. Beauticians do not exist because if they did, and pointed out the door, there would be no people with dirty, long hair appearing very unkempt like that woman outside. Ah, but beauticians do exist, the beautician said. The problem is, people don't come to me. Cheryl looked at her and said, exactly, exactly. See, the main problem with doubt is not that God does not exist. And it's not even what it does to us. The problem with doubt and unbelief is who it keeps us from reaching out to. Keeps us from turning to the one who made us, loved us, the one who can save us, the one who's come for us, who's waiting for us to come to him. And one day, all of our doubts and our faith will be clear. Today ain't that day. In the meantime, there's faith. Confident assurance of that which we have not yet seen. But no. Because of who's told us. Because of the power, the miracles, the goodness of God and Jesus himself. And it really comes down to will you and I just open our hearts in faith and believe. Most assuredly, Jesus' word to us this morning would be, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer this morning. Maybe you need someone to pray for you about all of this. Maybe, you need, maybe you've struggled with doubt and unbelief, and this morning's a day that you just know, you know God's saying to you, I, I need you to tell somebody, I believe, I believe. We'd be happy to pray with you about that. You've got some other issue going on in your life, and you, just, you don't know how it's going to turn out. You need someone in faith to pray on your behalf for whatever it is that you feel like God's leading you to, to have prayed for about that. I want to encourage you. Come on down afterwards. I mean, we're happy to pray for you. We want to do that. I mean, doesn't it make sense that you ought to be able to pray for one another in church? Answer me. Yes. 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 Just come. Just let us pray for you, okay? Let's bow our heads. We'll pray and then we'll be dismissed. We'll hang around and pray for whoever. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you have communicated to us the reality of who you are. It's hard for us to understand how faith is so important to you. 
guess maybe part of it is just that in the garden, Adam, Eve betrayed their faith, their trust. Maybe part of it is just you wanting us to make right what they kind of messed up. But regardless, help us to believe. Help us to remember the things we talked about last week and this week. and Help us to make our confession. As you've said, that whoever confesses you with their mouth before men, you'll confess those before your Father in the heavens. And that by confessing with our mouth, we'll be saved. We just confess this morning, Lord. We believe. We believe that you are the living God, that you, that you came, you died, you were buried, you were resurrected by the power of the Spirit. And now you live forevermore. You are seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms Above all rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms and on the earth, you, you are King of kings, Lord of lords, and as your word says, one day you are returning. And all that now we believe by faith will one day be sight, and we, we look forward to that day, but in the interim, we believe. Wherein we have our doubts, wherein we struggle, Forgive us and help us in our areas of unbelief. To trust, to grow, to learn, to follow, to accept that as finite human beings, we will never understand this side of heaven everything. Only you do. Help us to be patient until that day when you reveal all things. Father, we're grateful that you're merciful toward us. As we leave this place, would you just help us to ponder all of this and would you help us to orient our lives in a direction of faith and help bring the people around us in that direction with us. We'll rejoice to be your children. We'll rejoice that you're a good shepherd. Would you go with us now as we leave this place, we lift this prayer Together in the name of Jesus, and everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. 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 Bless you all.